From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and I'm the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. During these winter months, we're casting our interview net a bit wider, still talking to women farmers and also other women playing a variety of roles in organic food and farming, from agency women, authors and activists to entrepreneurs. Typically, you'll hear a series of interviews with the same woman over two months, with a new episode released every other Friday through the winter. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Get ready to dig into policy today with Kara O'Connor, Government Relations Director for the Wisconsin Farmers Union. Carol will take us through why policy is important to farmers, and especially how we as women farmers running operations that don't always fit the expected ag mold need to amplify our voices. As Government Relations Director for the Wisconsin Farmers Union, Kara advocates at the Capitol and throughout Wisconsin for policy that promotes healthy food in our communities, sustainable family farms, and stewardship for our land, Her prolific op-eds appear in media outlets throughout Wisconsin, and she was recently named one of Brava Magazine's Women to Watch for 2018, innovative women leaders who are making things happen in Madison and beyond. Thank you, and welcome to Kara O'Connor for chatting with us today. Kara is the Government Relations Director for the Wisconsin Farmers Union, and now we get to nerd out on your favorite topic, and increasingly mine, thanks to you, of policy. Because would you say too often we as farmers don't make these connections to what we do on our our five, our 15, our 50 acres, whatever it may be, to the bigger picture? I think it's a little like a goldfish swimming in water. You're not <laughs> aware of the water until something with it goes awry. I think that's how a lot of us feel about laws and policy that we operate within every day. We don't pay very much attention until we run into something that's not working. True. And so give me the, the, the basic schoolhouse rock definition of policy. I mean, what is it? Policy is the constellation of laws and regulations, federal, state, and local. So um, we have Congress that deals with uh, federal issues, things like interstate highways, defense, Um, veterans affairs. We have the state legislature that deals with schools, health care, also roads, uh, and um, a myriad of other things that affect farmers, taxes. Then local local governments, counties and and towns or cities that have local ordinances related to local roads, zoning, those kinds of things. And 
we have at all of those levels people who are elected to to represent citizens or who should be you know campaign finance is is a different topic a worthy topic um about who are people representing well but in theory and i think we should all begin with the assumption that those people who are in elected office at the federal state or local level should be representing their constituents and if there's a law that's preventing someone from engaging in the business or um, community activity that they would like to be, then um, it's worthy ground for asking for that law to be changed. Excellent. So um, how can farmers better understand the policy world? Because it it's big, right? It's complex and it's changing. But what are the elements that you see farmers identifying with or ways that, again, we can just connect better? One of the key questions that underlies policy, I think, and when we go about this enterprise of democracy is, what's the common good? And um, we have government in no small part to protect the things that we as individuals can't protect on our own. Things like water and air and, um, you know, public safety, having uh, universal, well-educated people and care for the elderly. Those kinds of things are hard for us to do on our own, and that's one of the main functions of government is uh, to do together what we couldn't do alone. It's really analogous to farmers forming cooperatives where – Farmers said, you know, we could sell our product better, or we could process our product better, or we could buy in bulk together if we acted together rather than alone. And co-ops are a mini exercise in democracy, very similar to what happens in government. You bet. What? So from a policy perspective and the farm bill, just so, again, it gets clunky, I think, for folks to understand. But the Farm Bill is the bigger federal, how many thousands of thin paper that is, right, that sets the food policy and ag policy for the country. Right. And then comes, serves up to our state and other states in various ways right. and forms. Yep. I, the, the Farm Bill at the federal level shapes a whole lot of what happens on our landscape. And the Farm Bill is passed by Congress usually every five years. It has a number of components, um, programs that affect field crops like corn and soybeans, crop insurance that affects those crops as well as what are usually called specialty crops or fruits and vegetables. Um, We're seeing growing programs for crop insurance for those crops. Conservation programs energy programs, and then importantly, and often unknown to people, nutrition programs also fall under the umbrella of the Farm Bill. And and in fact, the largest portion of Farm Bill spending is on nutrition programs like the uh, SNAP program and um, the SNAP program is the largest one that um, provides food to low-income or otherwise food-insecure individuals in the U.S., So every five years, Congress shapes and molds how those programs will look and decides the level of spending that each 
one of those categories will get. That's at the federal level. And then uh, at the state level, there are any number of other policies that might affect agriculture as well. So how, what advice would you give or how would you respond to the fact that I know so many, particularly small-scale women farmers that are doing things a little out of the normal ag box who can't relate to a lot of the programs there, do you know, or feel like we're the square pegs trying to fit into a round hole of industrial ag. How, how can we amplify voices? How can things slowly change a bit? I think one example that is demonstrative of how important advocacy is in the Farm Bill is the effort undertaken by a lot of organizations, including Farmers Union and the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, to advocate for conservation programs in the Farm Bill. Sure. That's one of the intersections where people who aren't doing, say, a conventional corn and soybean or a dairy farm, but instead... um, flowers or fresh market vegetables or direct marketing uh, livestock might participate in programs that are authorized in the Farm Bill. And through organizations like National Farmers Union and the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, people who have used those programs, like the Conservation Stewardship Program, like EQIP, the Environmental Quality Incentives Program that provides funding for high tunnels that a lot of people have used for fruits and vegetables and uh, flowers. Those programs are in jeopardy pretty much every five years when the Farm Bill comes up for reauthorization. And thanks to the organizations working at the national level and the individuals who have used those programs and been willing to stand up and advocate for them, Funding continues so that people who have used the programs in the past still have access to them, and other people who haven't used the programs yet have that same opportunity. And in in the process, then, we help to build a more diverse agricultural landscape because the support is there in our communities to build the kinds of farms that create diversity in in our communities. So the advocacy is really important, and I think the partnership between those organizations and um, the farmers who are are willing to step up and lend their voice to the effort is really important. Yeah, I know you're so right about the lending your voice, because if if we don't speak up, if we don't share stories, especially how some of those programs work, and some of those, granted, maybe smaller programs compared to others within the Farm Bill, but that go directly to building sustainable ag businesses like that. I always think of like the value added producer grant one is seeming like always something we have to fight for continually, but there's such success stories out of that and to uh, get those out there. Absolutely. And champion those. Yes. And we, you know, the other side of the coin is that we always encourage people to use those programs and to find out what's out there. Um, the the local natural resource conservation service office um, in your county or it might cover two counties is an important resource in understanding what those programs are but the other valuable resource is fellow farmers who are doing something similar to you so it's valuable to attend conventions and conferences of 
people who are doing what you're doing or what you hope to do to get a read on what programs are out there that might benefit your farm. And that's where I think, too, that women farmers have a particular strength on that networking level. I mean, I'm always amazed whenever more than a couple women farmers gather, or we have a lot of women in ag potlucks down by me in southern Wisconsin, it's just information is exchanged in a real collaborative setting because it's one of those things where more people use the programs, there's more success stories, there could be more funding. It just is a a win-win all around. But I find the conservation aspect really fascinating too because I think that between that and the bridges particularly women farmers can build, that can bring us all together. I mean, from various sectors of ag, small scale or larger scale or industrial or organic or whatever it may be, we all in theory, want to steward the soil, right? I yes. mean, and want to fight for those opportunities. That's that's the hope for sure. And it's it's also worth noting that a lot of federal programs have placed a priority or an incentive for women to apply by setting aside a certain amount of fund for, funds for women and um, historically underrepresented groups, um, racial and ethnic ethnic minorities as well. So um, that's a question to to pursue also with the Farm Service Agency or FSA office in your county or the Natural Resources Conservation Service office. Those are for those federal programs that you may be eligible for. It's definitely something to keep asking questions on because I, I get the question a lot in our women farmer work with Moses of, from women, you know, what grants are available for women farmers? And I was like, well, if there was this women farmer money tree, we would gladly shake it for you right now. But to your point of understanding different programs, particularly within FSA, the Farm Service Agency, that work particularly with, I don't know what they're, historically it's been called socially disadvantaged. I think now these groups like women are historically underserved as a term, right? Which is a little, I think that is more descriptive. Mm -hmm. But uh, to keep asking, because I know with some of the beginning farmer loans and capital, as a woman farmer, as a socially disadvantaged farmer group, there could be some advantage when you apply for one of those through the FSA or other grant programs, period. Right. And again, here's the intersection with policy. Those prioritizations or those um, boosts for historically underrepresented farmers came about because people advocated for them. Sure. Sure. No, it, it, it's, it continues on. It's interesting when, you, when I think about that uh, historically underserved category still for women farmers. It's one of those things that hopefully one day we won't have anymore for various reasons, including good policy. But right now we do because of the history because of a lot of historic discrimination and other in the past that we need to take advantage of the programs and the ways we can dial into them a little bit quicker and better. Absolutely. Interesting. Well, it's it's a long haul, that's for sure, but it's one that uh, I'm excited how there's just more ways for farmers and particularly women farmers to get their stories out there and uh, uh, amplify and help support the work you do. Thank you, Kira. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. 
The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable, organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.